and welcome to A History of Hannibal. Episode 6, Marauding Mammotines. This week, we finally get into the narrative, or at least something much closer to the narrative than we've been in for the last few weeks. I won't start the in-detail narrative until we get to the Second Punic War, but this narrative is going to be quite similar. The podcast starts here. So, where to begin our grand narrative? Why don't we follow in the tradition of Polybius and start with the Mamertines? You should remember the Mamertines from our last episode. They are a group of companion mercenaries who took control of Messana in 288 BC, following the death of Agathocles in 289. Over the next ten years or so, they expanded their power and became the dominant power in northeastern Sicily. By the time of the Pyrrhic War, others wanted to copy their example. A group of Roman soldiers who were stationed in the city of Regium, which is on the other side of the Straits of Messana, from Asana, being in Italy rather than Sicily. These soldiers copied the Mamertines. They killed the natives and took control of the region. Rome could not stand by and let this happen. They needed to keep their allies on good terms, and so Regium was recaptured, the rebels were executed in Rome, and the city was returned to its rightful owners. As the mercenaries in Messana and Regium had come to power in the same way, they were naturally on good terms. But the capture of Regium changed the balance of power, and greatly weakened the Mamertines. The Mamertines were a nuisance to the dominant power in western and central Sicily, Carthage, as well as the power in the southeast, Syracuse, currently being led by its brilliant king, Hiero. Hiero was greatly annoyed by the Mamertines, and so defeated them militarily, stopping their aggression. The Mamertines, fearful of Syracuse, and panicking because of the loss of supports from Regium, needed help. The Mamertines sent a delegation to Carthage, offering to surrender their sissy, and for reasons that do not make any logical sense whatsoever, also sent a message to Rome, offering to surrender Messana to them. Carthage came and took the city, while Rome debated what to do. How could they live with themselves if they helped the Mamertines if they had just executed identical rebels at Regium? What message would it send about Rome's morals? I think the Rome decision-making process on this moral matter is best described by a quote from The Simpsons, from the episode Saturdays of Thunder in Season 3. Bart is debating whether or not he should enter a soapbox derby race with the car he and his father built, or with the better car built by Martin. He says, My dad and I built our car together, and if I drove somebody else's, it'd kill him. On the other hand, I'll do it. Rome was not going to let this moral dilemma stop her from advancing into Sicily. 
Carthage already controlled Corsica, Sardinia, and most of Sicily. If she took Messana, then she could quite easily attack Italy. Rome was already jumpy about things concerning Carthage. Remember the Carthaginian fleet that showed up during the siege of Tarentum? The Senate and people were persuaded that Rome must take Messana, because of the security threat and the rewards that would surely come. The Committer Centuriata voted to send help to Messana, and the consul, Appius Claudius, was appointed to lead the expedition. The year was 264 BC. The First Punic War had begun. The Mamertines decided, now, they wanted Rome to control her city, but unfortunately, they had already given the city to Carthage, so the Mamertines tricked the Carthaginian commander, Hanno, into leaving the city, so that they could hand it over to Appius. Hanno was crucified for his poor judgment. The Carthaginians moved their fleet to Cape Pelorius, a few miles to the north and puts Messana under siege. Now, as you should know from last time, Carthage and the Greeks were bitter enemies who had been feuding over Sicily for the last hundred years. But politics does make strange bedfellows, and so Carthage and Hiero united against the Mamertines. Hiero was desperate to get these barbarians out of Sicily, and this seemed like his best chance to do so. So Hiero advanced north against Messana. Despite the claims of the Carthaginian commander that not a single Roman would cross onto Sicily, Appius crossed the straits by night, and immediately realised what a poor position he was in. He was surrounded by Carthaginians and Syracusans in every direction. He tried to negotiate his way out of this mess, but neither Hiero nor the Carthaginians would come to terms. Appius attacked Hiero in desperation, and won. Hiero was defeated. Who'd have thought it? A very shrewd man, Hiero realised the way this campaign was going, and retreated to Syracuse, abandoning the Carthaginians. Besides, the Carthaginians and Greeks were enemies, was the alliance really going to last? I think not. Appius's confidence soared, and he made a move against the Carthaginians, and was again victorious. Appius rescued the city, and took the offensive. He moved against Syracuse, ravaging the countryside. There was no resistance. He advanced to the city itself, and placed it under siege. Quite a good change in fortunes for the Romans. This account in Polybius is based on the pro-Roman account of Quintus Fabius Pictor, the oldest Roman historian. Polybius also offers the account of his other major source for the First Punic War, that of Philinus. I am not going to go into this pro-Carthaginian account, because Polybius and I both agree the account is nonsense, and it doesn't make any logical sense. If you are interested in it, though, it can be found in Polybius, Book 1, 
chapter 15. News of Appius's victories reached Rome in time for the consular elections for the year 263, in which two generals, Manius Otarchilius and Manius Valerius, were elected. While Appius had led an expedition at Bridgehead into Sicily, the new consuls brought out the big guns. Metaphorical big guns, that is. We are still 1,700 years away from literal big guns. But they did bring 40,000 troops with them. The arrival of such a large force further swung the balance of power in favour of Rome. Cities deserted Carthage and Syracuse, siding with Rome instead. Hiero, who I have said was a shrewd man, took note of the mood of the Sicilians, and also took note of the potential manpower of Rome, and so he sent a message to the Romans, asking for peace and friendship. The Romans eagerly agreed. This war was the first time that the Romans had fought outside of Italy, and they understood the problems they would face. There was a famous military maxim that amateurs study tactics while professionals study logistics. The Roman generals who went into Sicily were obviously making battle plans, but they were also thinking about how best to supply their army. Carthage was a strong naval power. Rome, on the other hand, had almost no naval experience whatsoever. It would not be hard for Carthage to blockade Sicily and leave the Roman army stranded. Here, though, was a solution being handed to them by Hiero, on a silver platter. Hiero and Syracuse could supply the Roman army with food while they were on Sicily. Problem solved. There was the mere formality of Hiero surrendering prisoners and paying a 100-talent fine, but Rome and Syracuse were now allies. The reaction to these events by Rome and Carthage was quite different. The Romans thought that seen as how they were now well supplied, they now had Syracuse as an ally, and considering that Carthage had lost Syracuse as an ally, thought their commitment to the war had decreased. They decided to half their presence on the island, from four legions to two, leaving only 20,000 men on the island. In contrast, the Carthaginians used the same circumstances to come to the conclusion that they needed to increase their troop presence on the island. They sent a mercenary force to Agrigentum, which they decided would be their military base on the island. As the year changed to 262, the two new consuls, Lucius Postumius and Quintus Mamilius, arrived and decided to throw a spanner in the Carthaginian works. They called off all their other engagements to make a bold stroke. They would attack Agrigentum. They made camp a mile from the city and placed it under siege. It was currently at the height of the harvest, and as the siege was expected to be long, they scattered throughout the country to gather food. The Carthaginians realised what was happening, and so launched an attack against the foragers and scattered them. Some even attacked the Roman camp 
while others attacked the covering force. Things were looking dire for the Romans, but they would be saved by their discipline. A Roman soldier was taught to fear his commanding officer far more than he was taught to fear the enemy. So, when the Carthaginians attacked the camp, those on guard did not flee. That would result in a swift execution. They stood their ground and fought. They lost many, but the Carthaginians lost more. The Punic force was surrounded and killed as they fled back to the city. After this incident, the Carthaginians were much less willing to leave the safety of the city, while the Romans were more careful when searching for food. The Romans took advantage of this Carthaginian unwillingness to leave the city to divide their army in two, moving half around to the other side of the city. They then fortified the area between the two camps and built two trenches, one facing the city and one facing away from the city. All the while, her Sicilian allies kept the Romans well supplied by dropping off food at the nearby city of Herbessus. For five months, the two sides were locked in a stalemate. But the Carthaginians were faring worse, there being 50,000 trapped in the city. The Carthaginian general, a man named Hannibal, became desperate and sent words to Carthage asking for reinforcements, which were duly sent to the other Carthaginian commander, Hanno. He was based 25 miles northwest of Agrigentum, at Heraclea. Hanno concentrated his forces and used them to take Herbessus, cutting the Romans off from their supplies, placing the besiegers under siege. The Romans nearly gave up. Only Hiero was able to keep the Roman army supplied. Hanno heard that the Romans were suffering from disease, and decided to try and land the killing blow. He began advancing towards Agrigentum from Heraclea. He sent the Numidian cavalry out in front to try and draw the Roman cavalry towards the main Carthaginian force. He was successful and killed the Roman cavalry. Hanno encamped on a hill nearby, called Taurus, and settled down for two months. Little action other than skirmishes occurred. Hannibal continuously made fire signals, desperately trying to remind Hanno that he was short on supplies, and couldn't maintain the siege for much longer. In the end, Hanno finally offered combat to the Romans. The Romans, who were also short on supplies, were eager to fight. It was a long battle, but the Romans eventually pushed back the Carthaginian front line, and routed the Carthaginian army. Things looked terrible for Hannibal, but as the Romans were less disciplined than usual after the fight, Hannibal broke out of the city in the middle of the night. The Romans awoke to briefly skirmish with Hannibal's rearguard. They broke into the city, and found no Carthaginians there to defend it. Diodorus estimates that 25,000 Agrigentines were killed. This moment marks a turning point in the war. 
the reaction at Rome was jubilation. Roman confidence soared. The Senate began to think that just maybe they wouldn't have to settle for helping the Mamertines. Maybe they could remove the Carthaginians from Sicily altogether. The Senate was more than happy with progress on land. The new consuls for 261, Lucius Valerius Flaccus, Titus Atarchilius Crassus, were doing just fine. But if they wanted to take on Carthage and win the war outright, they would have to venture into Carthage's field of speciality. Naval warfare. Rome would have to build a fleet if they wanted to beat Carthage. Rome would have to build a fleet if she wanted to invade Africa. Remember to find us online. You can do so at the website, thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com On Facebook, at facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast On Twitter, at twitter.com forward slash thehistoryofpod On YouTube, at youtube.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast And you can send me an email at thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com In my last episode, I mentioned I was taking last week off, because I was cooking a Roman banquet. Sadly, this was cancelled. I did feel terrible about not posting the show. So, to make up for it, I have an announcement. Another project I've been working on for a while, and have called my Secret Project on Facebook and Twitter. I am in the next few weeks going to release an e-book based on the transcript of my Alexander podcast. It has been reworked so it's suited for reading, rather than listening to, and greater detail has been added in places, particularly to the stuff on the Greco-Persian Wars. I am immensely proud of it, and shall be releasing it shortly, so look out for that. Thanks to Peter John Ross for the music, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you next week when we get into the second stage of the First Punic War, Rome's invasion of Africa. <laughs>